Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to uh, this FS Club webinar on the psychology of leading a hybrid workforce. And I'm delighted to have uh, with me today Julie Brophy and Gary Ashton of OECAM, uh, who are dialing in from uh, Cambridge and St. Albans, respectively. Now, you'll know me. I'm Michael Minelli. I'm one of the directors of Zien. And it really is my pleasure to be able to introduce these various webinars, principally because our sponsors allow us to range widely and freely across technology, economics, and finance. Uh, and today, of course, as we all have workforces, uh, today's session as technology has upset the workplace uh, is going to be, I think, fascinating for all of us as we both learn uh, from uh, Julie and Gary, but also speculate on what that might mean for us. I don't normally pick out sponsors, but I might make a particular mention today of Bridgeworks, who have very kindly helped uh, to, very much with today's webinar. Now, as ever, the uh, format will be that I'm here to get out of your way as quickly as I can uh, so that you hear from our experts. But just before I do so, a reminder of a few things. One, uh, yes, the slides will be posted. In fact, are posted. Uh, you can see in the chat room. The recording will be up in approximately 48 hours. And all of the questions that you send through uh, will be sent to Julie and Gary. So if we don't get time to answer them, they will receive your questions uh, with your email. Uh, but that is a reminder to please use the GoToWebinar chat facility. No point in texting me or emailing me or WhatsApping me. Uh, I'm here with you right now, uh, and I'm very interested in what they're going to say. So please do use the GoToWebinar facility uh, on the toolbar that you have there. And I will be feeding those questions into the Q&A discussion at the end. But with that, uh, may I say, uh, looking very much forward to this. And Gary, the floor is yours. Excellent. Thanks very much, Michael. And yeah, quick introductions. My name is Gary Ashton. I'm a partner at OECAM. My colleague, Julie Brophy, principal consultant, uh, also in the organization development practice. Um, of course, we've been talking to a number of clients recently about this shift that's happening uh, to the workforce in moving more towards a hybrid way of working of office and home. Um, so we thought today we would take you through the story of one client that we've been working on um, where we've given them a framework to think it through um, as we believe this way of working is going to be with us for a long, long time, way past um, the pandemic. Now, some of your parts of your organization may well have been working hybrid for many years because it's not exactly new for some people. But there are a lot of chunks of the organization that are start that are used to being in the same location face to face. And it's those uh, those people that we're addressing um, today. There is no one right answer um, because each circumstance will be different. But what we'll give you is a framework for you to think through. Uh, your situation and uh, to be able to come up with the best uh, thing for you. So um, we'll do a quick introduction for Eric Can. Then Julie will take us through really the what and the why of, of hybrid working. And then we'll have a discussion about the challenges that that leads to before then moving on to the framework that uh, we can apply uh, to this particular circumstance. So moving on, a quick introduction for Eric Cam and what we ostensibly do is help clients build the effectiveness of, at an individual team and organizational level. And we do that by looking at organization development and team development. Now, in the past uh, nine months, a lot of our work has been adapting to the consequence of the pandemic, which has been around uh, changes to the operating model, but also leading remotely. Um, 
but this issue of hybrid working is really starting to uh, take hold and as people try and think through what are the challenges to actually doing that. So without further ado, Julie's going to just give the overview of around what is hybrid working. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, hybrid is, is a term that's being used for quite a number of things. I mean, initially it sort of came from the combination of people working with machines, but now in the circumstances we're in at the moment, it's really being used a lot around that combination of working from home and working in a shared location. And obviously before this lockdown, people were starting to think about that and there were a number of people going back to work and thinking about how we're going to actually combine this working from home um, and working in a shared location. Um, I mean, working from home actually sort of has, um, it gives you that kind of freedom to work when and where you want to. Um, and it also gives you a bit more autonomy around your balancing your work life. But what you're effectively looking for and what the organisation we were looking for is kind of bringing the best of those two worlds together. So giving the flexibility and the autonomy of working from home, but also giving that kind of sociability um, and structure from working in a shared workplace. Looking at uh, the kind of writing that's coming out about this, there's no clear one way of how it's going to work, but a number of uh, commentators are actually coming down to this model of two days at home and three days in the office. So commentators like Nicholas Bloom and Anissa Ting are looking at that. Um, and some people actually say, well, why can't we just go back to the way we were? Why can't we just go back to five days a week? Well, before the pandemic, about 30% were working in this kind of hybrid way of working from home and in the office. Um, at the moment, it ranges from anywhere between 75 to 90% of people, you know, might be working that way. But there is this expectation, there is going to be this legacy from the way we've been working recently, that we're going to be able to do that going forward. Um, and kind of the surveys that are coming out, things they're looking at a number of about 50% of people being able to do this hybrid working. A lot of not people can do that is based around the activities that they do. Um, and recently Gartner looked at what kind of uh, organisations, what kind of business sectors are going to be able to do that most effectively. And finance and insurance came out as being very high as um, with that potential to do the hybrid working because of the kind of things that they do. However, obviously for financial insurance, there are going to be issues around things like GDP and security of data because they have an awful lot of information. But that's kind of where they're looking for. So there will be this legacy of expectations of being able to balance this. So I've talked slightly about, you know, depending on activities. If we go on to the next slide, we can actually see the kind of activities that are going to be really benefiting from being in a shared location. And then the kind of things where you need kind of the energy and the immediacy of being in a joint workforce, so things like working collabor collaboratively or creativity, or especially around things like complex decision making, where it's much better to be in a location so you can spawn quickly, build off the energy of others to do those things. The other thing we're looking at as well is actually culture and maintaining culture, because culture is a kind of combination of the way we work together, the way we behave, the language we use with each other. It's much harder to maintain if we are all socially distanced from each other, if we're all working remotely. So these are the kind of uh, activities that are really going to benefit from being in a shared location. So when we've been talking to our client, we have been talking to them very much about what are the things that you do as a team and what do you do as individuals and therefore where is the best place for these to happen. So that gives you a bit of the context of it. So what we want to do is just move on to a poll and just really understand where you are at the moment. 
That's great. Uh, I will be launching the poll right now. Uh, basically, you know, where are you on your thinking and your planning towards hybrid working? Poll has been launched. So if you just use the question facility there. As ever, uh, Julie and Gary, the FS Club members are very, very fast on the fingers. We've got uh, over 60% have voted just now. I'll wait just another moment, uh, and then I'm going to close the poll, and we'll just uh, present here the results, if we may. So as you can see, 54% have got some advanced planning underway, and 30%, 33% have started to think about it, and virtually nobody is ignoring it. Yeah, well, that's, that's great. I mean, the, you know, the fact that we are looking optimistically at things like the impact of the vaccine and people start to move back, the fact that we're not ignoring it is great. But there will be some pros and cons, and Gary's going to take you through some of that. Thank you. Yeah, so when we started working with this client in the autumn, when they were starting to implement a form of uh, hybrid working, the original feeling was sort of optimism of, of this best of both worlds. Um, but what they've found is as, as uh, the weeks went on, there are some uh, cons as well as pros to it. And, and here's, here's a quick summary of them. I mean, that ability to flex when and where they, you can work when you're, when you're at home and the actual meetings that you were doing were becoming more efficient. But what some of the people were concerned about were missing out and being involved in some of the bigger decisions that were taking place that seemed to be taking place when people were in the office. And they were also missing out when they were at, uh, at home on, on those casual, spontaneous conversations. So although they were getting a balance of home and office, when they were away, they felt like they were missing out. Um, the other area was around when working remotely, I think we've all found that the power in the room when in, say, a Teams call is quite evenly distributed because of the way it is portrayed on the screen, as opposed to when you're physically in a room, people kind of can tend to sense and feel and know where the power is in the room. So that democratization has been a real plus. Um, but when you are not in the room, you, on the other hand, you feel more isolated. So you feel independent, but isolated and less connected with the organisation overall. So it's important to get that connectivity right. Overall, people were finding, yes, they are um, being more productive uh, than they were before. So there is a benefit there, but they're finding it. Uh, there's less opportunities because they're not in the office all the time to develop beyond what they're currently doing. So that's getting involved in the bigger decisions, but also on their career development, on that more broader socializing, networking, seeing what else is going on in the company. And generally that was leading to a feeling of being mentally uh, exhausted. So it's there's good, but it's not exactly the best of both. We, we've got to try and mitigate some of these. So the next slide then shows us what some of the challenges are for the leaders that they need to address. And this is what we started to tackle with them. There is that about motivation, communication with hybrid teams. How do you do that? Then there is a bit of organization design in terms of how you design the roles to make the most of this new situation. Combined with leaders having to grapple with pushing control more to the teams and, and away from them. I know that's been ongoing for a number of years now, but this has really added another impetus to it. Um, and generally, overcoming what we call the unconscious bias, which uh, Julie will talk about later, in the in-group, which is the group that's actually in the office, uh, as opposed to the out-group, which would be remote. 
but generally helping then that other pastoral role that the leaders have of helping team members come through the emotional fallout of COVID and beyond, because of course life and work will not be the same as it was before. So there's a lot that leaders have to take on board. So one of the things about this list, sorry, one of the things we've been doing about this list is that it's a balance between the rational um, and the emotional side of being being a leader. Um, and what we've been working with them is to come out with leaders who are organisationally intelligent, but also emotionally intelligent and therefore able to offer the right kind of support to their team members. Yeah, thank you. So here now is the framework that we've used with the client to think through what's the best way of getting hybrid working um, uh, working in their in their in their business. Four areas. So the first on focus and perspective, really that's giving clarity of direction, but also having to clarify roles. I mean, it's interesting in this in this new world that things are having to be more probably shouldn't use the word structured, but you really need to be clear about who's doing what. Secondly is the autonomy piece and really giving greater freedom to to these teams to crack on and, and work to work together. Then the third area then is more on the emotional side, which is really maintaining that sense of belonging um, for the whole team, even though you may not all be together at any one time. And then that underlying one of security and maintaining the mental health of your team and making sure that they know where they can get support. So those are the four areas that we've covered and we're going to now cover one at, one at a time. And the first one being uh, focus and perspective and we've sort of strap line this clearing the way because that's what it feels like is the role of the leader is to make it easy for the people in hybrid teams to work what was happening uh, pre-covid uh, just go back to the previous slide um the pre-covid um face-to-face -face decisions uh when when they were all in you were all in the office decisions tended to be made more would be made more organically uh because there was informal conversations taking place there was tacit approval being granted non-verbal cues were being picked up and all of this helped when building uh, to make a decision when you're in a uh, hybrid world it was harder to get the right people together as you are building up to making that decision so although when you are all together it's it's more it allows for more fuzzy decision making processes and and um, more fuzzy in who is making the decision but now in a hybrid world it makes things harder so what they were finding over the over the autumn was that the decisions were becoming lower quality uh, they were taking longer and they weren't necessarily getting all the buy into the decisions that were being made so what we needed to cover off there with with the um, with the leaders was on the next slide, which is about um, covering off first of all communicating purpose and direction. So sounds obvious, but really clarifying to your team, to your function, to the project, what is it that they're going to achieve over the next um, batch of time, and then getting into adapting roles to minimise those number of handoffs or interfaces. Um, what they found this is where role design comes in and where location has become a strong factor in determining how roles are configured. So there was one example where three, three roles uh, had a bunch of responsibilities that we had to take them out of those three roles and configure them into one role so that when they did the handoff to their internal customer, it was more seamless and, and less painful. 
um, because of the the less likelihood of being together face to face. So the bit of role design, but even so, once you've done that, then there needs to be some personal contracting with the, the people you're interfacing with. Now, what can happen in organizations over time when when uh, you've, you've got used to each other is you're probably consulting and communicating with many, many people as you're making the decision. The hybrid world really requires you to chunk down and decide who are the critical few people that you need to consult with to make a decision and then engage with them on a one-to-one -one basis in order to recontract how you're going to work together and when you're going to come together in order to help make that decision. So there's a lot of one-to-one -one, uh, contracting starts to take place. And one of the key things about that contracting, it's not just what you do and the information you're handing over, but it's also how you do it and the way that you work together, because that helps to reinforce the culture that we saw earlier, is one of the key things that we need to be working on in a hybrid organisation. How do we work together? Not only that, but what do we do? So that's focus and perspective. If we move on to the second one, which is around autonomy, um, I think what we all found was that at the start of the pandemic, um, decision making was sucked up the organization to the senior leaders and for, you know, understandable reasons, we were in a crisis. Um, but over time, when um, more normal uh, working environments has, has occurred, if ever that's going to happen ever again, but when it was becoming more normalized, um, the managers needed or leaders needed to wean themselves off that higher level of control that they had. And what this uh, particular client has found is that it became even more important to start pushing those decisions down closer to the customer, even more than when it was pre-COVID. Because it's harder uh, in terms of they're having to work harder for gaining new business, um, they, the, the, the market is more volatile, so they're having to make more, more smaller, rapid decisions uh, closer to the customer and not being in the same location necessarily all at the same time all lends itself to the fact that you need to push the decision making down. But that requires the, the, a shift of the mindset of the leader, because often the leader, and not all leaders, but a number of leaders are so used to maintaining a tight grip on their particular functional project that this can be quite unsettling. So the next slide just shows some of the areas that we can, we've been working with where really it's been a coaching exercise with leaders um, on getting them to redefine what their role is to be a leader. Part of it is about providing more context and less control. So really over communicating, if you like, um, on, the, on the need of the why and the what and leaving more of the how to the teams. Really pushing down proactively uh, decisions so that you get it closer to where the decision should be taking place but also keeping connected. So having an agreement with the with these teams on how you are going to be kept up to date. So it's that eyes on, eyes on, but uh, hands off, please. Um, and finally, what it requires, that style of leadership really lends itself to a coaching style. And that means that some leaders will be quite naturally good at that, but other leaders really need to learn a new way of leading. And so therefore that's something else for you to, to think about. So we've done focus, we've done autonomy. So now Julie will take us through the next two, starting with attachment. Yeah, I mean, one of, one of the things we know as psychologists is that um, people are deeply social beings and they really want to have this sense of belonging and feeling that somebody has your back. 
and, and working remotely and working from distance is actually in undermining that sense of belonging. Um, and this is one of the key areas for leaders. And the client that we were working for um, had an example of exactly where that came out. So there was a, a meeting where some of the members who were having um, were in the, involved in the discussion uh, were actually in the office and some of them were remote. And at one point in the meeting, um, there was an aside. So they could see a couple of people in the meeting actually having a conversation just before a coffee break. And they went out and had the coffee break. And when they came back, the decision had been made so that the people in the office had completely forgotten the contribution or the fact that they had this group of people who were working remotely who should be involved in the discussion. And if we move to the next slide, that's a perfect example then of what we call in-groups and out-groups. And what we need to do as leaders is actually mitigate that formation of in-groups and out-groups. It can be done really easily. It can be formed around a name. It can be formed around, as is in that example, that some people are in the office and some people are out. So it's really important not to make people feel excluded from the discussion, from the decision making, because that starts to uh, erode trust. So my contribution is not being involved in anything. We talked a little bit earlier about present privilege. That's one of the other things is if you are in the office, you are getting those nonverbal cues from your leaders. You're getting visibility to the leader of you actually working and how you work. And what we also know is that uh, in groups, sorry, in groups, form unconscious bias and opinions about the outgroup. So we know that in-groups actually think uh, that the competency and the capability of the outgroup is reduced. We also know that in-groups are kinder to each other than they are to anyone else in the outgroup. And what we also know is that in-groups are actually more tolerant of mistakes of people from the outgroup. So you can see that if you've got part of your workforce is working in the office and part of them remote, as a leader, you need to be really careful and think about what evidence do I really have that this, these people who aren't there aren't working as hard as the people in the office or don't have the same capabilities. And a, another example of this with, a, with another client has been uh, where it was exacerbated because they had two head offices. So they had two different teams, depending on where they were located, um, and some working remotely. So it was a combination. Um, perversely, the uh, the executive director happened to be near the head office, lived near the head office, um, where the more junior members were sited, and the senior members were in the other head office. So then they were starting to, the executive director had to be very aware that he was creating that present privilege with the more junior members and he was sitting in on the meetings with the junior members talking to the senior members and it started to create a new dynamic um, mm. and potentially quite an awkward dynamic uh, is as if the executive director was on the side of the, the, the workers so to speak so um, the leaders have to be really aware of what they're doing and make sure that they accommodate for that yeah I think um, just a final point on this slide before we move on to the next one is, is one of the other things to remember as leaders is that when we're talking about in-groups and out-groups, if people are working remotely at home, then they are an, they're an out-group of one. So they're basically experiencing all of this out-group uh, emotion, but actually on their own, isolated in their own home. And that really leads into the next point, so we move on, Michael, um, around maintaining the mental health. Um, we know that remote working leads to or it can lead to isolation um, and loneliness um, and that has an impact on mental health and there was a report recently from came out from the CIBD and Google had done some research about remote workers and about 78% of um, the workers that they spoke to 
said that their mental health had been negatively impacted by this period of remote working, which is kind of a really huge number. So there's going to be a lot of work for leaders to do when people start to come back in the office to, to, to help them. Um, we know it increases stress. And we also know that it actually makes at least a bad decision because that stress actually impairs our ability to make good decisions. What we saw with our client um, was very interesting because we were coaching the leaders um, about this and helping them to think about how they actually structure and, and working a hybrid uh, organization. And one of the things they started to talk to us about was they started to question their own ability and their own capability. We're starting to get into a sort of negative language about their own ability and in a bit of a downward spiral. And talking to them, one of the things we realized was that when you're in an office, you get this very kind of informal ad hoc support for your performance. So you get someone come along and say, yeah, that's a nice contribution in the meeting or, yeah, I really like that. Can I work with you on that? And all of that is lost when you're sitting on your own. So the fact is the kind of things that uh, leaders can do to really help maintain the mental health is on the, on the next slide. But it's actually sort of things like establishing an uh, environment that's psychologically safe. And what we mean by that is that if I have a concern, if I am starting to question my own ability, that I actually have a safe environment where I can bring that up, I can discuss it with you as a leader without feeling that it's going to impact me negatively or I'm going to be ridiculed or it's going to have an impact on my um, performance or on my future career in the organisation. We also need to be helping employees to mitigate that self-limiting belief that actually we need to be focusing with them on what they have done well. What have you achieved over the last nine months while we've been in this situation? How well have you done building on their successes? And actually using very positive biased language. So making them really challenge the language they're using about talking about themselves and actually saying, is that really true or am I just feeling isolated or only? So it's a lot of work for leaders to do when they're thinking about um, going to this hybrid working model. And, and Gary's going to take you back through the sort of just to summarise that model that we've been using. Thank you. So, yeah, the overview um, of the, the, the framework. Um, so focus and perspective, really about clearing the way. Um, make it easy for your teams to, to operate in that and really think it through, being clear with what they're there to do and, and and who's doing what and who's making what decision. Um, autonomy, shifting the mindset of the leader to having less control over their their teams um, and being comfortable with that. Um, third area on attachment, keeping that one team feeling. Um, so even though people will be dispersed, um, to avoid that um, outgroup being being formed. And then finally, managing the mental health of your team. So really making sure that um, even though sometimes they may well be in the office, that um, there's been a legacy of the last uh, nine months, 10 months uh, of, of remote working. So there's a lot to be uh, worked on as we go through and eventually end up in a more hybrid um, organizational form. So we've got a bit of a poll uh, on this to ask you to do. Of those four areas, which is for you the most important for your organisation to address over the next few months? Just launching that poll now. As ever, the fingers on the buzzers are very fast. Half the audience has voted. Just give it a few more seconds. Close that poll and share the results. 
Um, and very much uh, people clearly see it. A fifty percent is a combination of the four above. Yeah, yeah. And there, the yeah, so a combination, and then a reasonable spread um, across the across the others. And the ones that um, may leaders may find easier is on the is the more rational side of of uh, that requirement on the focus and perspective. Um, what probably needs more attention to and, and leaders may need more support on is on building that attachment, the one team feel and the security piece, because that may be out of the comfort zone of some of your some of your leaders. Well, that's excellent. Uh, we've got a tremendous number of uh, comments, questions and observations uh, with, with over 150 people online. Uh, I'm not surprised, but uh, thank you both for a, a presentation that's raised those questions. Uh, and has uh, got a lot of already uh, a lot of praise, uh, but let's just get cracking if we can. Uh, really, a comment from Ian Harris: uh, the negative mental exhaustion point is important. In my view, this is mainly based, mostly based on the difficulty people have in separating work life from non-work. Mm. Uh, having been primarily a homeworking hybrid worker for three decades, I still haven't quite come to terms with this. Uh, both as an individual and a leader, the organization can only do so much to help individuals grapple with this. Ultimately, I think some people are suit, suited to homeworking and some people are not. Uh, Julie's point about unconscious bias, the out of sight, out of mind type, both in the minds of primarily home workers as well as primary office workers is a vital aspect. So that was there. Um, Rachel Seidel is curious, how does a leader keep a presence to everyone? Would an absent leader give an excuse to others to reduce their productivity? Are there any tips for ensuring the leader can lead both teams at home and at the office? Yeah, when, I mean, one of the things that, that we're looking at is really about um, this a bit about the presence privilege and that leaders need to think about if they're bringing people back into the office, how often are they in the office? Are they mirroring the same kind of um, three days in the office, two days off? And if they are, they need to make sure that that's split across lots of people. And essentially, leaders need to try and balance the face-to-face -face time they're having with people. So it's about um, looking at you as a leader, how often you're in the office, who you see, making sure you get around to everybody, and really being very visible when you're in that office, I think. Uh, Bob McDowell's got a couple of uh, interesting points here. Uh, he's curious about how would you address uh, homeworking longer term for those who live in studios or similar small units or accommodation. Related to that, will the homeworking environment become a criteria for recruitment in the future? And three, any insights on how this could affect the tax situation with HMRC uh, if you're supporting people from home uh, with uh, facilities, equipment, etc. Mm. I mean, some of these are outside our scope in terms of the uh, the, the, the tax question. Um, I think in terms of um, we think of these people in studio uh, flats, etc. I mean, we, we are finding it's it is the younger generation that for a combination of reasons, then they are more likely, not necessarily all of them, will be in those smaller one one bed flats. Um, they also desire and crave more social interactivity and um, and also for their career development they need to network more um, in order to know where they're going on their on their career so i think the there's an organizational need a business need uh, and a business benefit for getting people to come into the office um, i think the idea of having them almost um, like gig workers 
it isn't going to be the way an organization is going to thrive. Yeah, I think one of the other things we're seeing as well is clients have been talking about doing things like hubs. So can they have uh, smaller offices elsewhere rather than the big offices like you have in Canary Wharf now? Um, and also some organizations are actually paying or providing uh, money for their remote workers to rent space locally. So you don't necessarily need to come into a hub, but you can go somewhere where there are other people, not necessarily your company. And they're also supporting them by providing uh, money to book into places like, you know, MySpace, that sort of thing. Hmm. You made a, a couple of points about in and out. I, I myself had personal experience uh, very early on in the lockdown. Uh, one of uh, my clients had three people in Paris and three of us around the rest of the world. And the three people in Paris were clearly getting on. And afterwards, uh, in a call with uh, the managing director, he was wondering why the phone call hadn't gone so well. And I said, well, it, it appeared to the other two as if you three were up to something and that erosion of trust that you spoke about. Um, Anna Hinder uh, picks up on this. She says, we often hear that an organizational culture can be weakened through hybrid working. What are the indicators of a culture becoming weaker or stronger as a result of hybrid patterns? Well, it's the social discourse. I think what what happens is over time, um, pre, pre the um, pandemic, you would have built up a strong culture. And what you've done is you've built up a lot of social capital. Um, so that's that sense of trust and understanding of your line manager and your feeling of connectivity with your work colleagues. So those are kinds of the indicators. Over time, you can live off that for for a little while, but you'll be eating it eating away, and then the those indicators of feeling your your connectedness to your colleagues will start to deteriorate, and also then the quality of the decision making will start to reduce. So it'll actually start to have a business consequence uh, further out as well. So those are another indicator that you could look at. And there's a couple of things as well around things like communication and the communication becomes less effective, but also um, we know there is more sort of conflict um, when you're actually working remotely um, after you spend that period of time, as, as Gary said, having eroded some of that social capital. So actually starting to look at what levels of conflict or how people are feeling when they come off. So leaders need to be really reaching out to people and just saying, how was that call for you? You know, were there any concerns? Okay. Linda Roberts is really interested in the idea of present privilege. Is there also a flip side where those whose jobs enable them to work from home are seen as privileged over those whose roles require them to be in a shared office? <laughs> um, yeah, there have been conversations about that where, where people have been saying, you know, it's been easier because you've been at home and you haven't to do the commuting and all the rest of it. Um, I think, I mean, it's a little early for the research because obviously we've, we've been in there for a long time, but I think anecdotally it is seen as being more of a cost to be remote than it is to sort of start to come back and, and developing that social capital again and, and the present privilege. So um, I think jury's still out, but my instinct is that it will actually be seen to be better to be in the office and have that present privilege. Um, Matthew Leach points out that people have very different working days. Uh, some people do a lot of thinking and computing with just occasional meetings. At the other extreme, some are back-to-back meetings for several hours each day. He's curious about what differences uh, result in that. Um, I also have an interesting uh, point here from Edward Martel. I noticed you said a pro of remote working is that employees are more productive. If this is based on employee surveys and feedback, is it possible that employees are saying, they are more productive because they want to continue with more remote working in the future and are providing the response they will know will lead to the outcome that they want. Um, 
And personally, I also noticed in your slides, uh, I was a little surprised at how low IT and computing was uh, compared to um, financial services. I would thought they'd be more comparable. So uh, some interesting points here. If you'd like to pick up on Edward and Matthew. Yeah, the, the one about the nature of, of your work, of course, it depends on uh, what function you're in and, and what you require. As you say, some people are sort of exhausted with the uh, series of team meetings that they've got all through the day. And other people, it is more reflective. And that's why you have to apply the framework to your particular context and your particular team or your particular function. Every answer is going to be different. There's no one right answer for hybrid working that you can say mm. this is the perfect solution. So you start with the nature of work and then you work back to say, therefore, based on those four areas that Julie cited right at the beginning in terms of collaboration and uh, creativity and complex decision making, when what proportion of time do you require to be face to face? And then you then you work out what, what's right for the for the hybrid. In terms of the productive, you're right, it may be that people are sort of saying, uh, oh, it's highly productive because I don't want to go back to work. Um, I think even the uh, leaders of the team meetings are finding that, that they are they're more efficient, but they're losing out on the more qualitative. So it, it ticks one box, but it doesn't tick the whole box uh, is the issue with the efficiency. They're efficient, but they're not overall effective in the long run. Okay, uh, we've got a couple of technical questions, believe it or not, <laughs> technology really. Uh, Matthew Leach is curious, is what extent is the mental exhaustion the result the result of having to listen to poor quality audio? Uh, Denise Fellows is a particularly interesting question as well. A question about chat, uh, does private messaging help or hinder? It provides an opportunity to check in with people who are quiet or seem put out over something or to praise but it can also feel a bit like passing secret notes in class. Do we need a new virtual meeting etiquette? Yeah, well, on the um, the mental exhaustion, I mean, it is a combination of things. I mean, I remember going, I had to go to the opticians because I normally wear glasses, but for this, I take my glasses off now. Um, and I found that I was getting uh, headaches, etc. And it was, it is more because of the staring at the screen. So it's the visual as well as someone said, the audio piece and the number of times. So that's to do with time management. And uh, if I think over time, we're going to have to manage it better so that we create more breaks and have meetings uh, to be short, shorter as well and allow gaps uh, between those meetings. There's a whole etiquette on that. And then that brings in that chat piece. Um, I think it is um, a new um, form of etiquette that's quite valid, actually. Um, it can be seen the chatting between members uh, in a meeting uh, through uh, sending an SMS could be seen as, um, as you say, passing notes in class. But I think it's probably something that you need to do because when you're in the meeting, uh, if you were all face to face, you'd have the equivalent, which is the eye contact and the body language would be sending messages. And we don't have that. So we need to find new ways of doing it. So I think although it can have the downside of creating another in-group of, of this mini chat going on, it could actually benefit overall the quality of the meeting taking place. I mean, some of the things that technology are doing are starting to look for, um, sort of looking at gestures and feeding, feeding those in, and also um, there are some advances around things like um, democratising things with Klaxoon and Mural, where you can still do whiteboard work and everything. Um, I think one of the other things as well is, is actually thinking about what you're doing with the meeting. I mean, there are some things which are very transactional, which good old fashioned phone call works. Do we really need to go 
online every time we have a meeting or can we just make it a phone call? So just think about what it is you're going to do, what you're trying to achieve and whether or not this, this medium is, is the right one. Uh, Vaughan Edwards uh, makes a point which uh, quite a few in our audience would be interested in. Financial services, unsurprisingly, clearly lends itself particularly well to hybrid working. Uh, but in the UK, bank CEOs have an explicit regulatory accountability for a number of things, one of which is getting the culture right. So given that one definition of culture is what happens when nobody is looking, I expect the average CEO to be very uncomfortable about maintaining hybrid arrangements. How would you help them address those concerns? Well, one way is, I mean, part of, the, I mean, the definition of hybrid or the interpretation of it can be uh, many things. And one way is that you get this rotation so that people will be spending some time in the office as well. So it's it's not saying that people are permanently um, at home. Um, and it's the, and so it addresses that culture piece uh, on the in terms of the four areas of, of of the use of shared space. So it's making sure that you are building in cultural reinforcers when people are back in the office. Um, the other thing you can do is uh, sending physical reminders to people who are working from home. So having an actual something through the post that's to do with a meeting or to do with your company. A is quite a nice thing to have anyway, if it can be a little gift or what have you. But it's also a physical manifestation of the organization and it starts to reinforce who you belong to. So there are different ways in which you can reinforce the culture, um, even though people aren't in the office all the time. Uh, and the thing uh, about rotation that Gary mentioned at the beginning, actually, again, going back to the in-groups and out-groups, that starts to reduce it because if you're regularly the person who's not in the office, the assumptions, the unconscious bias about you will be reinforced. But if you can rotate people, then we know that actually spending time with other people reduces that level of unconscious bias. So it works on that way as well as reinforcing the culture. Uh, Mariel Schindler is a lawyer and a friend. I'll leave out the uh, the legal uh, exemptions here, but uh, she does point out on, on tax that there is a genuine issue. If employers pay for kit, this is currently a taxable benefit in the hands of employees. We need HMRC to allow employers to do this in a tax-free way. For example, uh, a £2,000 one-off allowance or something like that. And we've got time for just two two other sets of questions. There's a group of questions and comments um, really about inclusion and diversity. Uh, Tanji Morgan wonders if you've uh, got any research on addressing the impact of women in the workplace as they've had to take on more caring and homeschooling, et cetera. Uh, Mira Shah is interested in conversations about uh, hybrid working impact on diversity and inclusion. Uh, have you discussed the possibility of certain groups preferring the flexibility of home working more or needing to work from home more and then adding to existing biases? Um, so I'll leave, I'll leave you with those two. There are a few more like that. Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, there are, there are some um, research coming out about the impact on, on women because um, it is looking like they have taken on more of the homeschooling responsibilities and those kind of things. So I think once we go through this framework, there's a lot of diversity that, we, that needs to be addressed. So is it disadvantageous to women and what can we, we do about it? Um, 
So it is one of the things that really needs to be in there. I mean, as well as that, you've also got people's preferences in, in terms of their own styles. I mean, there are some people who have more of an extroverted preference who like to spend time with people and therefore want to be in the office. Um, and those with a more introverted preference might want to work more from home. So there's a lot of things that need to be balanced. And I think that's why at the moment there is no one particular way of doing it that's being dominant and why we were talking about a framework, because I think it's going to be individual to to each mm. organization and their workforce and the preferences of the, of the people who are in the organization as well. The the other thing to just bear in mind is the situation we've been in in the last 10 months or so hopefully is a unique um, and is not going to be a permanent state. So eventually schools will be back uh, to normal and um, then the, the people who were normally going to work, it's them that may spend now more time at home. So it's a different scenario. There's the high stress that's been involved um, over these past few months with the with the example that you cited, Michael. Um, hopefully over time that will change and won't be part of the equation when we get out of the pandemic. Okay. Um, just uh, briefly, if I might, um, the last set of questions uh, that we have time for are, are very much about leadership. Uh, Peter Fraser Hopeful, Hopeful is, is curious, if you looked at the military doctrines of mission command, the ability to lead and allow decision making at low levels in a confusing environment where physical presence of leaders is often difficult, uh, that's one element. Uh, Ed Savage says the hybrid model is massively reliant on leaders and followers playing their respective roles well. If a leader fails, then the organizational impact is much worse, in his opinion. Uh, and then uh, Alan Punter is curious, does hybrid working reduce the effective management span of a leader? Well, it could firstly increase the span um, of a leader. Because um, if you start to delegate more, it means that you may be able to take more people on. Uh, or other other teams on. Um, so I think from the leader's point of view, it could increase their um, the, the the number of people that they're working for, that that are that they are overseeing. Yeah, and one of the things we've been taking this client through is that contracting with um, other people, so there's real clarity around what people are responsible for. Um, so that's kind of a key thing that we've been doing with that organisation is making sure everyone understands their responsibilities as well. We have a tremendous uh, number of comments and questions. Um, folks, as mentioned, the slides are up and all those comments and questions will be sent to Gary and Julie with your email. So they uh, may well get back to many of you here for some really uh, interesting uh, issues such as what's going to happen to corporate real estate, how do you take on new staff that you've never met? Um, what about widespread surveillance of remote workers? So there's a, quite a bit here that people would like to cover, but unfortunately uh, we've come to sort of the end of time. Um, if I may, uh, on a personal note, I'd really appreciate it. I think your four points there about clarifying the roles, autonomy, attachment, and security and support are, are good issues. And given that 54% of our audience are in advanced state of planning, I hope that framework is of some help to them. Uh, it certainly helped to me, and I appreciate it. Um, if I may, I'd just like to give three rounds of thanks. Uh, first and foremost, uh, to our sponsors. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, Bridgeworks was uh, particularly helpful in uh, assembling this webinar and uh, getting uh, Gary and Julie to us. 
Um, I'd like to thank you, the audience. You've been extremely vibrant today, uh, and I do hope that uh, you felt that we were able to address most of your questions or comments indirectly, if not directly. Uh, we do still have uh, three more events uh, this week alone. Uh, tomorrow, in particular, a focus on Dubai. As ever, uh, visit the website to check it out. But thank you, the audience. And very finally, of course, uh, I need to thank you, Julie, and you, Gary. It was really superb today. I appreciate all your preparation you put in, and you clearly have a, a lot of interesting insights into something that is clearly dominating all of management thinking. How do we move from management by attendance to some sort of new 20, uh, 21st century form? Unfortunately, in this era of uh, COVID, I'm unable to open the floodgates for applause. Technology isn't quite advanced at that, but I do have here my reincarnate clapper, which I use as a substitute. So. Uh, that, that will have to do, I'm afraid. Uh, we'd love to have you back. As you, the research in this space is just so interesting. And as it develops, I, I think supplementing many of our prejudices and individual experiences of, of working from home needs to be supported by proper research. And we're delighted that you're sharing what you have with us today. So thank you. Uh, thank you. Great, great to be with you all.